You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're interviewing Perth GP Dr Scott Blackwell. Dr Blackwell's had a long and distinguished career of nearly 50 years, with a lot of that time spent in palliative care and aged care facilities. He was also president of the AMAWA and of Palliative Care Australia. Scott is also now involved in a study on advanced care directive and that's what we're talking about today. Welcome, Scott. Good morning, it's a pleasure to be here. Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your hobbies and what attracted you to be a GP? I guess to start with, I'm, I'm a born and bred West Australian, which is a rare commodity in the state. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, studied at UWA uh, and actually was looking, looking towards uh, becoming a, a physician. And then I decided to do some, some time in general practice uh, to earn some money to go to England, really. Um, but I loved general practice so much that I stayed. And in those days, there were no fellowships and, and those sorts of things. But general practice just fitted like a, like a, a nice, well-tailored uh, um, suit. So I've, I've been there ever since. Oh, fantastic. Good on you. I'm about 25 years your junior, and I look at everything you're doing, and I'm exhausted. What is it that keeps you engaged and enthused about your work? Look, I think... I think th- in a word, variety, and, and what I've done all through my career is make sure that I don't just sit behind a desk all day. I, you know, the first 25 years, I did a lot of time doing uh, anaesthetics and uh, obstetrics, and then, interestingly enough, I switched that to palliative care and aged care <laughs> later in my career. So seeing people in in the beginning and out at the latter part of my career is all part of the joke of my career but but it, it, it does all fit and of course anaesthetics going into palliative care fits uh, pharmacologically very well because the, the grounding uh, in one helps the other so in general it's about variety and now although I'm semi-retired and I've devised a fairly good formula for semi-retirement having a, a fellow GP who shares the patient load that I have and we actually work the clinical load three months on and three months off so effectively I'm working four days a week, six months of the year. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so that's the formula and it works and it keeps you professionally alive but also engages you in the rest of life that's, that retirement should be all about. Plus gives you a bit of money for those holidays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took a, a three-month-long service leave myself and it, it was the best three months of my life. So doing it every six months would be brilliant. It is. It is It is brilliant, actually. And so, and so currently... Um, I'm uh, off to Glasgow in August to play in the uh, European Masters Hockey Championship for an Australian side, um, and uh, that's my next adventure. So, so two weeks of hockey in Glasgow uh, with a bunch of other old guys like me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it's, um, it's interesting. The GPs I know of your vintage who do still remain enthused about their work say similar things and, and you know, keep a lot of external um, interests outside of clinical me- medicine. We knew about life balance before your generation <laughs> who think they created it. <laughs> Very good. Um, So your latest involvement is in a group that's hoping to increase the use of advanced care directives. Can you tell us a little bit about what stimulated your interest in this area of medicine? Yeah, let me put it in context a bit. I guess for general, for a general practitioner, an advanced care directive is just another document, and we hate documents. You know, we we 
have had so many pushed at us for so mm. so many generations, and we've even had committees in the AMA uh, designed to reduce the number of documents the GP has to face. <laughs> and, but it's really a document that's just a statement of of. Uh, a particular point in a journey of advanced care planning and, and advanced care planning is really the key here you know it's not the document uh, governments like to devise documents and so that's what gets pushed but the reality is the journey the conversation if you like and that's what a GP does and if you think about your work and 80% of your work I'm told these days in general practice is in chronic disease management you're already having this conversation you know you're talking mm. to your patients about their life and I suppose that, you know, the misconception about this whole subject is it's about the end of your life. Well, it isn't. It's about actually living your life to the max. Uh, sure, it's about, you know, planning for that, for that end stage of your life. But advanced care planning is not a negative thing. Advanced care planning should be about life. And certainly the end part of it uh, is, is the most important part to, to plan. But this particular study is, is probably more... Uh, I guess directed towards that end stage of life but for me the interest really comes from the fact it's just a natural part of what we do you know as general practitioners um, if you don't when you're managing somebody's chronic disease help them maximize their life while they get there. in fact if you do have the conversation with them about what are you doing with your life how are you you know how you, what are you planning to do with your life how are you getting out of your life what you want in actual fact, you're missing one of the important keys to helping them actually maintain good, you know, good management of their chronic disease because you know, offering them a set of numbers to keep in order doesn't get compliance. Mm -hmm. Offering them a quality of life option, you'll get compliance. And, and, and that's how, what I've found right through general practice. So it's, to me, this is, this, is, this is normal business for us. Yeah, look, mm. I, I would agree, and I think that most people would agree that having an advanced care plan is um, a, a worthwhile and, and useful thing. Um, but yet, as GPs, we don't tend to do it very much. What do you think are the barriers to, to doing it? I think the barriers to doing it are firstly time. I think secondly, I sort of hinted on on one of the barriers in in terms of they've made it into another document to fill. I think the other barrier that they put up uh, very much is is actually focusing so much on death and dying and not enough on life. And I think if general practice took hold of this, it would become very much a life document with you know with good planning for death and dying at the end of it. Uh, and I think that's uh, uh, they're, the, they're the major barriers. I think GPs often say time is a barrier because this can can take time. But I think if we actually looked at the chronic disease management protocols and guidelines and and actually worked the, the actual whole concept of a conversation about life, leading to you know decisions about you know this is a good time to be doing that, this is a good time to be doing that. Don't leave that too late. You know, get get your life in order, uh, then you'll naturally be able to sort of move on, move the conversation on to planning about, you know, what you want and don't want at the end of your life. Uh, and, and that, to me, makes general practice, the, you know, the obvious logical place for this mm. conversation to be happening. Um, and I know lots of GPs aren't sort of necessarily 
maintaining that longitudinal care aspect of their practice these days, but that is what general practice is, and that's as I know it, certainly as this college would know it, and, and I think uh, it just so easily fits with general practice. But if we make the emphasis on life and not on death, then I think we overcome most of the barriers. And if we make it a conversation with the document just being a statement at any particular point in that conversation, because it can change as you go, uh, then I think we, we capture the, the sort of spirit of it, if you like, um, and uh, actually do people a good service. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I would agree with, with everything you've said. Um, I've had the conversation with a, a couple of my patients and uh, including um, you know, some medical practitioners who are thinking about this, um, and yet even they find the document very unwieldy, and, and I think that, that conversation is really the key thing. Does the document have to be um, part of it, or can people write their own, effectively write their own document? Of course they can, yeah. There's no... I guess the document that's been produced through the legislation is... Um, I guess the document that becomes the legal uh, document... But in actual fact, people can write their own wishes down, um, and so if they end up in ED with, you know, with their own wishes expressed, it is still expected that they are, uh, in actual fact, uh, honoured. You know, so, so yes, they can. Um, and I think, you know, the focus has been on the document uh, too much, and, and I think that's that's the issue. We only need the document in case we end up somewhere else where we need to tell somebody what mm. the conversation is. That's mm. what the document's for. Uh, whereas I, I guess governments and, um, you know, uh, legal people and so on see it in a much more legalistic sort of legalistic sort of way. So I, I guess, yeah, I guess it is difficult. To, and I don't know what... Look, I suppose in, in all things, to, in primary care, and it's one of been, my, been one of my frustrations through my years doing the various jobs I've done, including you know, in state health, uh, in you know, helping them with advising them in primary care, is the fact they really don't understand us. They mm. don't understand the pragmatic practicality of of you know a person dealing with another person at a you know at a one to one sort of level. Um, they always seem to have to sort of you know complicate it really. So I I suppose when we look at what government could do to sort of help general practice in terms of overcoming these barriers is actually to respect that we know what we do and we do it well uh, and to help us put into our guidelines of chronic disease management this concept of a conversation about maximising your life and also which includes maximising the way your life ends you know it's, it's about it's about a positive really but whether we can get government to see that I don't know because what they're interested in is interested in is keeping people out of their hospitals they're not interested in people like we are uh, our job is to be interested in people. Their job is to keep them out of hospitals where they spend their money. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I'm not being facetious when I say that. That is their intent. And you see, they spend enormous amounts of money on programs to do that. But if they actually trusted general practice and enhanced general practice to do this, have this conversation. Uh, and the group that I work with in residential aged care does just that. And I know the collaborative model that we've developed over the last five years 
the transfer to hospital rate is a third of what it is for the for the nation, and, and, but it's not because that's what we aim to do. No, it's just because we we do a good job. Yeah, and, and advanced care planning is is part of an integral part of that conversation. Look, absolutely, and and I'd have to say that with you know uh, uh, with the WA faculty of the college, much of our conversation with state government. Um, boils down to exactly that issue. You know, how can we keep people out of hospital? How can we reduce ED presentations? Um, you know, how can we keep people in the community? And you can understand it from their point of view, but you're right, it, the focus should not be on that as a primary endpoint. The focus should be on better quality of life. Absolutely. And, and trusting the GP. Indeed, absolutely. So given that there are barriers, what do you think we as GPs could do to break down the barriers to advanced care planning? Look, I, I, I think probably it would be good if general practice sort of took the lead much along the lines I've been talking about really and, and actually put the positive spin on this and actually talk to your diabetic about, you know, the fact that that if they do maintain good control of their diabetes, they'll avoid losing their leg or their kidneys or what, you know, and, and that they will get this quality of life. And if you actually talk to them about the positives they can do with their life... You can actually then turn that into managing their diabetes better mm. and we know from studies that that gives them a much longer mm. period of good quality of life and that can then lead into the conversation about end of life because in chronic disease management you do get some leeway some time into that and because we you know an advanced care directive done by an independent person is a sit down one mm. one episode in general practice we've got yeah, you know a whole series of episodes uh, in a person's life, and we can then pick when we bring the conversation about end of life care into it. Right. it it's not something we sit down <clears> to. <throat> Today we're doing advanced care planning. <laughs> 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 we want to tell you how you're going to die. <laughs> no, that's not what we want. What we want is is for the GP to actually do what he's already doing, having that conversation, and then just work out for himself where he fits in that transition into. Now we've got to this point we need to talk about these other things. Yeah. and Because my experience is when you do that, there's a big sigh of relief from the person on the other side right. of the table. Right. We're the people who are averse to doing this. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> I, I must admit, that is a big part of my reticence to, to yeah. bring it up, is, is this going to shock the patient? Yeah. Are they going to think, you know, that... I'm thinking they're, you know... That's right, exactly. Two steps away from the coffin. So, I mean, look, GPs are pretty good at, at having a conversation with people over time, and, and I think everybody will do it. And that's the beauty of general practice. We've always all been able to do it in our own style, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And so everybody just needs to think about how that fits in with them, and some will do it better than others, and some may need to get somebody else to sort of enter that conversation for yeah. them because they can't yeah. recognise who you are. That's yeah. what we've always done in general practice. Yeah. You know, I've done this and that, you've done something else and yeah. but yeah. we're all GPs. Yeah. You know? yeah. uh, and and you know, the joy and, and I guess why I'm still here is the variety really. Yeah. You know Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. Um, now you're doing a study into the uptake of advanced care directives in the Mandurah region, south of Perth. Can you tell us a little bit about that study? Yeah, I'm not actually doing the study. I'm I'm a mentor to this group and it's really the Palliative Care Association of Western Australia who've received some funding from the Peel Development Commission, part of the Royalties for Regions uh, money, I believe, to deliver 
advanced care planning workshops uh, to members of the general public in Mandurah, Pinjarra, Dwelling Up, Waruna, Byford, Boddington and Jarradale, and that'll happen late this year and into early next year. And the association is delivering these workshops in, in a concentrated area to explore if it might generate community momentum on this issue, in other words, trying to work this from the bottom up rather than from the top down. The workshops include expert speakers and provide you know, lots of opportunities to ask questions and the emphasis is on you know, encouraging participants to begin the conversation with family and friends you know, regarding their wishes for the last stage of their life and how to maximise living. I'm glad they put that bit in because I, th I think that came from me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love it when you see your own quotes and yeah, things? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've been listening. <laughs> Uh, Palliative Care WA is also partnering with, partnering with another group, uh, the Palliative and Support Care Education Group, which is actually a unit of the Cancer Council, and they provide educational opportunities to GPs and other groups. Uh, and, and they're going to provide <clears throat> a brief face-to-face -face, uh, education opportunity for GPs on advanced care planning. Uh, and this will assist GPs to provide an appropriate response to members of the public uh, who've chosen to progress uh, with the advanced care planning type of uh, uh, appointment with a GP. It is, I suppose, f focusing it a bit, but I think this is an opportunity for general practice. Um, there's a large number of retirees in the Peel area, so it, you know, it sort of fits uh, in that regard. Um, and so we're hoping that there'll be lots of appointments. Uh, <laughs> and so PASC uh, intends to consult with GPs in the Peel region uh, and and ask them how they think it's it's best to deliver this, you know, this uh, intervention really. So that's what Palliative Care WA and PASC are doing in the Peel area. Great. So that's look. That's uh, I'm glad to see that they're engaging the GPs because often you find that the government will roll out a public education program and do minimal uh, work with the GPs. So if GPs wanted to find out more about this, how how could they do that? Well, I guess GPs in the Mandurah district can contact Palliative Care WA on 1300 or the Palliative and Support Care Education on 93829300 or at pasc at cancerwa.asn.au. I guess we can put those details somewhere on the... Yep. Yeah, the WA faculty, I'm sure, will be able to uh, those keep those details and um, to people to sort of log into yep. if they want. But I think GPs who are interested, if they contact those uh, those numbers, will in actual fact uh, find it uh, an educational and engaging opportunity. Um, you know, life has three parts. Really, uh, you're born, and if you're born well, you're you're a fortunate person, and, then, and if you live well you're an equally fortunate person. The third part we forget about is that you also need to die well to, to actually get the trifecta, really. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what yeah. this is really all about. Yeah. And dying well is really dying according to your wishes, and, that, and that's really, I think, what the bottom line for, for uh, end-of-life care is. Yeah. I think also the group that sometimes gets forgotten is those left behind. <clears throat> and if that discussion has taken place, in my experience then the people left behind are much 
more at peace with the process and and the memory of the, of their loved one that's left behind. Certainly, and and we we can attest to that with the model that we use in residential aged care now, which in actual fact engages the family and family meetings from the first three months of a person coming under our care, and engaging the family in the whole journey of care for the, for their uh, aged relatives uh, means that they grieve very well at the end mm. and. and if you like, the last KPI of good end-of-life care is how well the relatives grieve. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, that, and we actually use that as a, as a KPI of how well we're doing. Really? And, and it's really important to actually understand that that is the final proof of, of, good, of good work in, uh, you know, in residential aged care is how well the family recover afterwards. Yeah. Mm. And I was talking to a lady who manages a facility that we've been using this model for five years now, and she said, you've changed my life. I said, How, how's that, Carol? And she said, well, I used to have, you know, grieving relatives on my doorstep all the time before. I said, I, I never see them now. And, 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 and I, it's because we've introduced that, that involvement of the family. It must be very rewarding. Uh, oh, it is. Yeah, I love what I do. And, yeah. and because I do it with a group of people, and GPs aren't good at working in, in teamwork, but, you know, we're getting better at it, um, it's not a heavy load for one person. Mm. And that's the key, really. Mm. 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 Excellent. And no doubt, uh, if this does end up saving money as a secondary uh, outcome, it will be rolled out across Australia. I can guarantee the government that it will save the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, no have, doubt. Have faith. <laughs> have, have faith. Have faith. Then uh, our listeners interstate will um, probably be hearing about similar things um, as well. I would think so. So thank you, Scott. Thanks very much for being part of The Good GP. And I wish you all the best with your endeavours. And thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.